podcast to another episode of Weber State Weekly's Men's Hoop Shoe Show. We're a member of the Big Sky Podcast Network. I'm your host, Colby Peterson. On the show today, we have uh, fresh off of a Super Bowl win, it looks like, the signpost's own Simon Mortensen. Simon, how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. I actually uh, bet on the Rams in September, and uh, this is my little reward that I got a little hundred bucks. So go Stafford. Yeah, Matt Stafford gets the ring last night. Uh, good for him. Along with the Wildcats' own Jonah Williams, who was on the practice squad. So yep. Jonah Williams gets himself a ring as well. Uh, and, of course, and, of course, we got with us uh, one of our favorite panelists, Mr. John King. John, how you doing, What's man? What's going on, everybody? How are we doing this evening? Yeah, good. I, I would be honest, uh, I was not rooting for the Rams yesterday, but uh, there were some. Same. There were some redeeming uh, qualities there. I mean, obviously, like we said, one of our guys on, and I think the performance of yeah. Cooper Cups good for the Big Sky Conference. So uh, some some W's amongst that L. Uh, mix it up a little bit, right? Definitely. I'm, I'm not a Rams fan either, really. I'm a Saints fan. But when oh. you win the bet, you win the bet. Like, and yeah. Oh, I thought not be a Stafford fan, right? <laughs> yeah, I thought maybe Emily got to you or something like that. No, nah, yeah, she didn't get. To me <laughs> <that>. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's talk a little bit about this uh, this rundown, folks. So we got a couple of game recaps for you. We're going to be talking about the the loss to Eastern Washington up in Cheney on Thursday night, and then we'll be talking about the loss to Idaho in Moscow on Saturday. Then we've got a, a special segment for Wildcats. We're doing Wildcat Fantasy Draft. We're going to be taking the Fab Five of Weber State. So we're going to give our panel an opportunity for a snake draft. Each of them will draft a player at a position. And um, we're going to see kind of what the all-time starting five lineup looks like for the Wildcats. Now, before we get into all that, though, I want to encourage everybody to subscribe to the show, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, all good places to find Weber State Weekly. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Twitter, one of the best places to interact with the Weber State Weekly team, especially on game day. We've been doing a number of Twitter spaces, watch parties while the Wildcats are on the road. And so uh, they'll be home this week. But uh, if you want to hop on Twitter spaces to do some watch party for the women's basketball games, we might be doing some of those. So check out, check us out on Twitter. Uh, it's a good time. It's uh, always a good group. We had a really good group of guys on Saturday talking about the game. Uh, we even had a crossover of sorts with our good friends over at Tubbs at the Club, the Idaho podcast. Uh, their, their very own Brian Marceau was in our Twitter spaces talking a little bit about the game and also about some of the things happening up in Idaho. So uh, really good, really good conversation. So hop in on some of those. And then the last thing, folks, we've got a Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Weber State Weekly, become a patron. I have been uploading some of these uh, interviews that we've done with some of the new recruits from National Signing Day just a couple of weeks ago. We've got three of those live right now. So if you want to get access to them, early access, you want to watch those. Uh, they're, they're just uh, short videos, about 15 minutes each. You can sit and kind of watch and uh, listen to the conversation that we had with some of these recruits. Uh, you have to become a patron. So... Go to Weaver State Weekly dot, or I mean Patreon.com slash Weaver State Weekly, become a patron, and you will get access to those. All right, fellas. Now let's talk a little bit about this first game against Eastern Washington. Um, going into this one, Ken Palm had this as the toughest game remaining on the Wildcat schedule at the time, right? There were seven games remaining at that point. The toughest game Ken Palm felt was this Eastern Washington game. And it was a tough game, right? I mean, uh, a lot of things uh, looking at the score and say, oh, the, you know, the Eagles didn't necessarily have anybody that really went off. And I think that that's what makes this game so, so difficult. But on the Wildcats side, I want to start off on a positive note, noting the game that Sigu had. He had a great night shooting six of seven from three, 24 points total. Um, I want to ask you guys kind of, why do you think he was able to cook when everybody else was kind of struggling on Thursday night? Maybe John King, start with you, man. 
Uh, I mean, you know, I, I think it was just one of those nights. I mean, you know, when I mean, when you look at the box score, it, it, the thing that stands out for the uh, right away is he was six for seven from beyond the arc, and that's just something that happens in basketball. You just have one of those nights where everything that you shoot's going in. Um, we need a couple more people to have uh, a, a, a night like that, but I think that you know, I I think his I think Seagu's play has kind of been up and down uh, up and down this year, um, and so I just think this was one of those nights where we got the you know really good you know potential first team all conference you know level player that you know he can be. Yeah, I think it's a good point, John King. Like I said, when you're when you're shooting six of seven on a given night, I mean that's that's hot shooting, right? And it was good to see him kind of like, you know, kind of break through and say, "All right, I like, like I'm gonna I'm gonna go out there and do something because that was that was really a lifeline on a really tough shooting night for the Wildcats." I mean, just both of these games, and we'll talk about both of you know have been tough tough shooting nights for the Wildcats. But Seagu got it going um, when others were sort of struggling. Simon, what about you? I mean, Seagu's game, absolutely, you know, cooking twenty four points. Nice to see that, but everybody else is kind of struggling. Yeah. And that's one of the things is with Sigu, Sigu, like, you know, like John said, is, um, he's kind of hot and cold sometimes, but when he's hot, he's hot. Um, and he can, he can light it up scoring. Um, one of the things with him especially is he's a threat when he, um, is able to be a little floor general, get the ball out a little bit. Beginning of the season, he was really doing well with assist, everything like that. And there are some of those nights where he just goes off on points and, and you love seeing it because you know, the defense doesn't really have an answer for it. Unfortunately, they were able to lock down everybody else. I think that's one of the things is a lot of defenses don't plan for Soho Jawara like they probably should. And so um, you saw that kind of that night with him leading, leading with 24 points, just having a great night. But they were able to lock down Overton, Jones, and McEwen. Um, and unfortunately, that strategy paid off. So. Yeah, I would say that, that that's one thing that kind of surprised me was that, um, you know, of course, like we said, Sigu, they, they, they really struggled or uh, to kind of guard him. And it felt like maybe the, the defensive concentration on some of those other players like J.J. Overton, like Kobe McEwen, and especially the games that Kobe McEwen had last week, they were going to make, you know, they were going to make sure that he wasn't going to kill them. And uh, I feel like maybe they did that, but that kind of maybe that that defensive focus on some of the other players who really did a lot of damage against Montana and Montana State in the previous week, maybe gave Seagull that opportunity to say, OK, you're going to leave me wide open. Well, guess what? I can shoot threes and, you know, six of seven happens. But the surprising thing was, I think for uh, Dylan Jones had had a little bit of a rough night against the Eagles, ended up just going three of six, which, you know, still shooting 50 percent. Um, at, with 12 rebounds, but only eight points. And so I never really kind of found his opportunity, but contributing in lots of other ways, you know, four, three steals, uh, an assist in there, a couple of, of shots at the free throw line. Um, so finding other ways to get, get involved, but yeah, uh, surprising only three of six, um, when other guys were struggling and, and maybe that's just a matter of other guys were taking opportunities, you know, Kobe McEwen, five of 14, um, Sisa Hojuara, nine of 14. You know, Dante Bass had a game five of eight, you know, so other guys are taking shots. So sometimes, you know, that takes the ball out of your hand. But I want to talk a little bit now about uh, Kobe McEwen because he did have a rough night. Like I mentioned, five of 14 from two, one of six from three. Um, he also only got to the line one time, which is really uncharacteristic of him. Um, I don't know, guys, like what, why, what was it about this game where he just wasn't able to get his game going where, you know, he's driving to the basket. He's getting, you know, high percentage shots at the rim or he's getting fouled. Why wasn't that working against Eastern, John? I think defensive game plan um, was definitely a, a part of it. I mean, like you said, I mean, one thing we've 
become accustomed to over the course of the year is, I mean, Kog McCune is a really great finisher around the basket. And, you know, one of the kind of telltale signs of kind of an off night here, I mean, is, you know, as, as you mentioned, Kobe, uh, Colby is that he only had one free throw attempt and there are just not games like that over the course of the season where that has been the case. I mean, you know, what was it? Was it 20 free throws um, uh, in the game against Montana at home? I mean, he, he is, he is a relentless, you know, attacker of the basket and, you know, credit where credit's due to Eastern Washington, you know, really kind of building that wall, you know, in the middle of the paint to kind of, to, to, to take that up, to take that option away. And that is so much of Kobe's game. I mean, yes, he is a great outside, uh, outside shooter. I'm not saying that he's not, but it's so much of his game is getting to the basket and how creatively he can finish around the basket. And um, that just wasn't that, that just wasn't there in the game against Eastern Washington. Not like we've seen it for the majority of this season. Yeah, a good point. Like you said, Kobe, a relentless attacker of the basket. That's where he really, really, he does a lot of damage. Like you noted, 20 free throws in the game against Montana set a school record there. Um, you know, just absolutely a great night for him. But for some reason, the, the whistles weren't getting blown on this one. And so ended up just just one one trip to the line uh, and four personal fouls. And so I'm trying to, you know, I, I watched the game and I'm trying to now go back through my memory thinking about like, all right, the majority of those fouls, were they more offensive fouls guys are, you know, getting set up and, you know, they're, they're expecting him to come. And so he's getting charges and then he's got to play soft because, you know, maybe he's got two or three and, you know, it's a little bit different in the college game when you're in that situation as opposed to the NBA. So I don't know, Simon, I mean, what did you see, uh, you know, that was working for the Eagles to kind of keep Kobe McEwen under wraps and only scoring um, 12 points on a, on a night where he went five of 14 from in 37 minutes. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think one thing is, I think that they did their homework on this one. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you kind of notice is uh, during that stretch where we were played Fresno State, BYU and Utah State, um, it was kind of that thing where the team had to like basically re-engineer itself because they were playing against such difficult teams. And you started to see the strengths and weaknesses of these players. And one of the things is... Um, McEwen against Montana just a, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, went like 15 for 16 from the line or something like that. Like it was unreal. Um, and so when you're able to guard him a little bit less, but also force him out to the three, uh, you start to notice that um, it kind of frustrates him. Uh, when his shot selection goes down, that's one of the biggest key parts to his game is his shot selection because when he's able to get where he needs to on the floor, he's super efficient. But when they can force him out to the three, he starts to have games like those ones against Fresno State and against BYU where they were forcing him out to the three and he was shooting like seven or eight a night and just not making anything. Um, he was just a drought until we got back into in-conference play. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that Eastern Washington noticed that and then took advantage of that in the later game. And that's one of the things that, you know, they were able to stop that to stop that um, free throws and everything like that, just because they didn't have to guard him as aggressively inside as they would have from the outside. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right, Simon, because I think about the difference between say, like you said, that Fresno state game, where just like a really tough shooting night and, you know, just like relegated to saying like, okay, he's not getting what he wants at the rim, not getting some of those calls. So he's going to shoot threes. And, you know, that didn't work that night. But then I think back on the Utah State game, which I was in the building for, and, you know, he was going toe to toe with what U Utah State was throwing in and they were having a really hot, 
you know, three point shooting night. And McEwen was matching. He was matching saying, yeah. okay. I, and he was feeling it that night. And so I think probably what Eastern was thinking was like, okay, we're going to take away the rim. We're going to take away those drives to the basket because we don't want to give them foul opportunities to shoot at the free throw line. And we also uh, want to push him out further, like you said, and then we're going to dare him to beat us from three. And unfortunately, those shots weren't falling for him on Thursday night. And so he goes one for six. And then, you know, it's just it's just a struggle to find points uh, when you're doing that, you know, because he obviously five of 14 continuing to drive and try and figure things out. But it's just, just not there. And so, you know, just not cooking. <laughs> Guys, I want to flip this now and, and talk a little bit about this. I mean, we, we talked a little bit about the the woes of Kobe McEwen in this game, but overall, Wildcats just saw, shot six of nine from the free throw line. That's it. That's all they got all night, which is really weird for for this team, right? This team that we know that likes to get to the basket. They, I mean, of course, we know that they can shoot threes, but they also really like to get to the basket. It's one thing that they do really well. And so I wondered, like, why, what was it about this game that obviously like we talked about Kobe McEwen and the struggles of getting to the line, but what was it about everybody else? I mean, why were they not able to get that normal 20, 25 free throw game that they're used to John? I mean, I think, I think, I think part of that comes to, um, uh, I think part of that comes down to settling for jump shots in some spots. Um, I mean, you know, we shot, a decent number of uh, we had a decent number of temp- attempts, but beyond from beyond the arc, when we shot 20, 24 threes in the game. So I think some part of that is being a little bit complacent, you know, shooting um, uh, shooting from the outside. Um, the other thing that I was going to say as well was is that if I remember correctly, watching this game, is that there really weren't a lot of transition opportunities for the Wildcats either, and that's obviously another um, that's obviously another place where they're. Um, uh, where, where, where free throws are created from. So if you can keep the game in the half court and kind of slow it down a little bit, um, which I think Eastern Washington did a pretty good job of in this, uh, uh, in this particular game, it just limits the opportunities of where you have those kind of odd man, situ- you have those odd man situations where, you know, someone's rotating over late and then bam, there's a foul and you're going to shoot two free throws um, when you can kind of get your defense set and, you know, play the game that way. I think that that's that also contributed, you know, to that to that factor as well. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, like you talked about the the transition piece, because watching the game, the the commentators for Eastern Washington noted that same thing that that was a strategy that the Eagles wanted to do to keep those trans transition opportunities down for the Wildcats, make them play against that half court set defense, and see if they could come away with something. And unfortunately, they weren't able, you know, looking at the numbers, it's not like, you know, like I said, at the, at the top, you look at this and you say, OK, well, where did all the like, how did Eastern Washington win then? Because nobody really blew the doors off. Uh, you know, their highest scorer was, you know, Ryland Bergerson with 16 points, you know, their their point guard. And then a couple of guys in the, in the front court, 15, 14 for Linton Eccles and Steel Venters, you know, who had a, a really good he had, I think I would say like they did a great job on steel venters. He, he didn't score what he normally does. I mean, the Eagles actually shot poorly from three, like they only shot 33%. They were three of 10 in the second half, only five of 14 in the first half. Like it's not like they just absolutely ripped the nets. 
And so you just look around and like, what is, what is happening? And I look at the steel numbers and I say, the Wildcats only had seven steals, 15 total turnovers for the Eagles. It's like 15 turn- turnovers. That's a fair bit. But I mean, those balls are going out of bounds. It's a little, it's a little different than a steal, isn't it? For sure. And, 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 you know, we've kind of talked about this throughout the year, but I mean, transition points are, are important to this team because this team is athletic. I mean, when you have guys like Kobe McEwen and JJ Overton and even Dylan Jones, who like to get out, run, finish at the rim, fill the lanes, um, you know, we have an extremely athletic, you know, an, an extremely athletic team. And so, you know, that's definitely, I think, going to be a ploy, like once we, especially once we get to the big sky tournament, is that how, how are we going to execute and um, uh, how are we going to execute in the half court offense? I mean, that's one thing that's kind of been, if, if, if anybody was going to, um, if anyone was going to, you know, pick nits with this team so far this year, I think the most. The, the the I think that I think the toughest thing that we've all kind of been saying was is that you know when the team kind of gets slowed down a little bit and those assist numbers kind of dry down and the ball and the, and the ball sticks on the offensive end that's where the Wildcats have, the, the Wildcats have struggled and this was another game you know only eleven assists um, in this particular ball game um, uh, in this particular ball game against. Uh, Eastern Washington, that's kind of been the one, if you were going to say what's been the most negative team thing about this Wildcat team this year, that would probably be it. And so once we get to the big sky tournament, I definitely think you're going to see teams really at that point, try to muck up the game and, 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 and slow things down and say, okay, we're not going to let you get out and run. We're not going to let you finish in transition beat us by shooting over top of us. You know, we're going to play good, solid defense. We're not going to help that much. And you're going to have to execute your offense for 40 minutes. And that is, you know, and, and that if the Wildcats have struggled at one point, this one, one area this season, that has been the one area. Yeah. Just 11 fast break points in this one. Um, Simon, I wanted to ask you a question, man. Uh, so looking, looking at some of Eastern's numbers, um, the thing that kind of sticks out to me about them is points off turnovers, 21 points off of turnovers. And then, uh, and then the other stat that kind of sticks out to me, they go 13 of 16 from the free throw line while the Wildcats just six of nine, you know, um, gosh, I mean, which, which of those do you think looms larger? The points off turnovers? or the elevated free throw attempts. I think Coach Randy Ray would say that it's probably the, the points off turnovers right there. Um, we were State's one of those teams, especially with, you know, they've got huge forwards. They got Bissett, they got Jones, they got Overton. And one of the things that you're seeing is in a lot of games, especially with Bissett and Overton, as they get into foul trouble late in the game, it's just bound to happen. You know, you have these people, these players that are just aggressive um, and that's the way that they're supposed to play. Um, and, you know, they kind of strategize for that. They, they don't hope that it happens, but one of the things is, especially with, you know, the way McEwen and Sosoho Jawara kind of um, become floor general a little bit, they try to make sure that their turnover to assist ratio is really, really low. And that was one of the things that didn't happen. This game was just that, you know, they had so many turnovers um, and we're just giving up the ball way too much. So I think that factors in more than the free throw shooting stuff. I think anytime the team plays the Wildcats, they're going to shoot a couple free throws, but they're not used to that many turnovers. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. All right, guys. So we talked a fair bit about the Eastern Washington loss. I mean, it was a 
it was a tough game and we knew that. And that, you know, the Eastern ended up getting and getting the win. Um, not what the Wildcats wanted, obviously, especially after coming off that loss to Montana state, but nobody's going to hang their head over that. I mean, Eastern's a good team. I think that next year they're going to be quite a, they're going to be a team that's going to contend for the conference championship. They've got a lot of good things going for them. So now let's turn our attention to the black eye, Idaho. This was a rough game to lose fellas. Not going to lie. Idaho was arguably the worst team in the conference. I mean, Idaho state has been bad and Idaho state has absolutely shellacked Idaho both times that they played them. Right. Like there was no doubt that the Vandals were improved, but still not great. And a team that, you know, that the Wildcats should absolutely beat. And then that's not what happened at all. I mean, Wildcats came out really slow and ended up, you know, shooting just 30% in the first half, nine of 30, one of nine from three point land. That's 11%. Just, I mean, just a really slow start, only 24 points in the first half guys. What happened? Uh, well, I think we, I, I'm going to have to eat a little bit of crow here because, you know, last week on the podcast, we made fun of Montana, you know, pretty, pretty heavily for losing to Idaho state. And then, yeah. you know, we, we turned around on Saturday and, 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 and lost this one. Um, one number really stand well actually i'm gonna i'm gonna take that back two numbers really stand out on the box score number one we got killed on the glass i mean we were out rebounded 37 um uh to 25 and if you told me that that was going to be the case when we went into the game i would have said you're crazy there's no way that's going to happen so we didn't we didn't do our our end of the bargain um uh we we didn't have the best game. Uh, we didn't have the best game on a rebounding front. Second number that stands out on the uh, on, on the box score is going to be that four for nineteen um, from beyond the arc. I mean, the way basketball is played now, it's just really really tough if you only get if you only make four threes in a game in order to you know in in order to win, especially when you have two guys that are just shooting at the absolute lights out of the ball um, in both Mikey Dixon and Trevante Anderson, who, I mean, Mikey Dixon was incredible. I mean, like, yeah. I, I'll be honest with you. I, I never really watched him before this game because um, I don't really watch a lot of Idaho basketball, but he was fantastic. Um, and, you know, I, I, like I say, I can't comment to see if that's like, you know, his normal output, but yeah. he was third, third leading scorer in the conference. Yeah. So, but he was absolutely, he was absolutely lights out in that, in that game. And we, and Weaver State just didn't have an answer for him. Um, and that happens, but, um, those two things just really stand out from this game. We're just, you know, one, we didn't have the best game, you know, clearing the offense, uh, cl- clearing the defensive glass. And then two, um, uh, you know, it's just hard to win basketball, basketball games. You only make four threes now. I mean, with so yeah. much, being predicated on making outside shots. Um, it just makes it really, really hard. Yeah. The Palouse has not been kind to the Wildcats this year. I mean, when they played Washington state, they had a, a tough shooting night, you know, and then the reverse happened, you know, Washington state absolutely shot the lights out against the Wildcats in that first loss of the season up in, um, up in Pullman, just, you know, just a few miles from where they lost this one in Moscow. And so Simon, what about you, man? I mean, what stands out in this one to say, like a lot of things didn't go the Wildcats way, but maybe there are one or two that you could pick out to say, like, this is probably the thing that impacted this game the most. Yeah, I think one of the things is, um, 
you know, Weber State actually ended their um, ended their tough run against Fresno and everything like that after Christmas break by playing Idaho and um, winning just to start off the semester, kind of. Um, and basically, I think one of the big things is um, that kind of hurt them in the last game and almost cost them the game was that they just let their foot off the gas. Um, Coach Ray said it too. He just said, we thought the game was over. We took our foot off the gas. It was so glaring to see. And he was frustrated. I remember being in that press conference. He was mad about it, um, despite the win. And I think that's one thing, like, you know, when when you look at this game, the way that we looked at it, this is a this is a slam dunk game for them. This is one that they should win. This is one that they're clearly the more talented team, um, despite what the numbers say. And um, it just uh, – there's one of those games that they just kind of let slip by. Um, and I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I think it's a fair point, right? Like, this is just a game that slipped by. I mean, this is, like you talked about, the Wildcats are probably the most talented team in the conference, one of the most athletic teams in the conference. But for some reason, this particular one, uh, slow start, coupled with hot shooting by Mikey Dixon and Travante Anderson in the second half to keep the Vandal lead afloat because there was a point where you know the wildcats were down 20 at one point in the first half and of cutting that lead to like 13 at the half and then they come out in the second half and just make that run and erase that deficit you know tying the game maybe taking a little bit of a lead but then idaho just kind of keeps at that five six point lead and the wildcats just couldn't string together enough buckets or get the stops in time to make up that deficit and then over the course of the game it just they just run out of time right um, for me, I think the thing that stick out the most, the two numbers that stick out the most, John King, you've already talked about it here, four of 19 from three-point land. That's tough. One of nine in the first half, only three of 10 in the second half. Um, like you said, you got to make more threes than that in, in the modern game. And uh, they just were not falling for the Wildcats in, uh, in Moscow. But the other thing that sticks out to me, th- th- this, and this game ended up being a four-point game, right? Wildcats lose by four. Um, the difference to me, 17 of 25 from the free throw line left eight points on the board. You need half of those to go in. And this is a game, right? But they don't got to clean that up. I mean, um, Dylan Jones had a rough night or sorry. I was looking at three point land. Um, you know, JJ Overton, five of nine from the, from the stripe, uh, Dante Bassett, four of six, which is still pretty good. Only missing a couple. Kobe McEwen, always really good. Uncharacteristic. I think Kobe McEwen missed two free throws, only you know, only getting eight attempts. I mean, like you talked about earlier, 19 of 20 against the Grizz uh, in the D the other night. And so a little bit of uncharacteristic night for him missing two, but still we're talking about only missing two, right? But it adds up, you know, two there, uh, four by J.J. Overton, two by Dante Bassett. And then next thing you know, you missed eight free throws and you lose by four. I think those two... Are, are the things that stick out the most to me, you know, when we look at losing by four to a team like Idaho. Well, and, 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 one, and one additional thing that's kind of, kind of weird as well is like, when you look at the recipe for an upset, like, you know, obviously a point three point shooting night, like that's, that, that's probably the most common thing. Um, but one thing that the Wildcats actually had going in their favor is that we only committed five turnovers in the entire game, which generally speaking in a game where you get upset, I mean, that number is much, much higher. So kind of a weird game because I mean, you know, the Wildcats definitely had their offensive possessions, um, uh, but hats off to, you know, Idaho that came in and shot the lights on. I mean, that that's basketball at the end of the day. <laughs> Yeah, and it definitely hurts too that, you know, 
Anderson and Dixon were also the guys getting the most contact. The guys that were scoring the most were the ones getting to the line. Um, they just never helped, and they were just definitely effective from there. Four for six for Anderson and seven for eight from Dixon. So, definitely. Yeah, it's a good call out, John, I think, because like you said, um, only five turnovers total for the Wildcats. Idaho only had one steal. One. That's it. All and that's and that's and that's fantastic. I mean, that's like prime spurs, like, you know, efficiency from that particular aspect. Just did not shoot the ball well and did not did not rebound particularly well in this game. Yeah. So guys, we talked a lot about this in the, in the, uh, the Twitter spaces that we did at the end of the game, talking about like, what's going on right now, right now, Wildcats are on a three game skid. You lose a tough game to Montana state. Uh, that's fine. That was the sixth game in, in 13 nights. Um, they're a quality team. They're in first place, only two losses, uh, in the conference. That's fine. I mean, you lose that game, you split with that team this season and, you know, maybe you see them in the conference tournament, depending on how things go understandable. You lose to a tough Eastern Washington game. Um, probably wish you could have had that one, but you didn't. That's a bummer. But then you lose to Idaho. And then I, I so we talked a lot about, about depth on this team where it looks like right now, coach Ray is really only running a five, nine man rotation. I mean, you look at the starting lineup, you know, here at this Idaho game, how many guys play? I mean, we're looking at one, two, three, four, eight. five, six, seven, eight. eight guys played in this game, right? Because we didn't see any minutes from uh, who was it in the last game, the ninth player that played. Um, and from what I understand, there's some injury there. Uh, KJ Cunningham has had, has been out with a, an ankle. Um, and there was a little bit of foul trouble, um, but not, not enough to like really pull guys. I mean, Kobe McCune with four fouls, JJ Overton with four fouls. And a lot of that is like what Simon mentioned, just the guards that they're guarding, you know, getting, getting to the line. And also that they ran, they, they kind of ran this trap in the, in the, in the backcourt, not necessarily backcourt, but like at the top of the key where they were going to commit two defenders each time and try and get, and then, Idaho is passing the ball all around, you know, trying to find an open guy. Eventually that ball finds its way back to Mikey Dixon or Trevante Anderson and they're knocking down threes. So a little bit, a little bit physical there, but um, how much does this short rotation? It feels like how much of that is uh, having an impact on the legs of the Wildcats? Cause it seems like it might, might be making an impact. We, the, the, the common theme across the two games this weekend is that we got to find some bench production. I mean, yeah, Two points in this one. And two points in the game against Eastern Washington. So four total bench points from the games this past weekend. And that's something that's got to change because you're going to have nights where, you know, you have starters who don't, who are not having great games and you need to kind of make up for their production with, you know, maybe it's not one guy off the bench, but maybe it's, you know, a combination of two guys and then bam, you, you, you know, you make up for the, production loss from one of your starters. Um, that's something that is going to be really, is, is going to be really, really key for the Wildcats because, you know, we all know the big sky is a one big and is a, is a one bid NCAA tournament league. So what does that mean? You got to win your conference tournament. What do you have to do in order, uh, in order to do that? Well, we're going to have to win three or four, three or four games in three or four days. So, you know, that means that by the by the end of the tournament, the legs are going to be gone. And so, you know, your starters are really carrying the brunt of the offensive output. You know, you're going to need a game from Zahir, from Zahir Porter here or there where, you know, he gets 
10 or 12 points or, you know, you need Dyson Kohler to come off the bench and knock down two threes and just, and, 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 and kind of give, and give, give you something, um, uh, something a little bit more off of the bench. Um, because when you play in a conference tournament and you have to play so many games in quick succession and all those games are tough games. And we've talked about this year about how deep the big sky conference is and that, you know, there's really six good teams in this conference. So we're going to have to play at least two quality po- opponents to, you know, to win this thing. Um, got going to have to get some bench production down, down the stretch. That's something that's, that, that, that we really need to figure out um, as we get in these last couple games. Yeah, Simon, I wanted to ask you this, man. I mean, so John talked a little bit about the bench and about how the, you know, the production really hasn't been there for the Wildcats um, because it's been a little bit of a, of a challenge. And part of that is, you know, streaky shooting. And one of the players that I noticed in particular has had really a, a kind of a really rough stretch, not just in these last two games, but in quite a few. As Zaire Porter, like you said, um, he's, he scored just two points in both of these two games, 18 minutes, three fouls on Saturday, then two points in, on 14 minutes on Thursday night. Um, what do you think's got him in a funk? Because he, he's shooting, you know, he's, he's trying to contribute and he's, he's getting opportunities to shoot the ball, but, um, they're just not going down only Oh, for two in this one, one for five total. Sometimes those are getting, those are shots right at the rim. Um, but I, I gotta wonder if, you know, I don't know if you guys remember earlier in the season, uh, he had like fallen down and like had hurt his, his, uh, shoulder. Let's and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I just wonder, like, how much of that has affected his game this season? Because it feels like as conference play has worn on, he just hasn't like he, he might have one good game, but like he hasn't had consistent good games. And I wonder if like that shoulder injury is really bothering him. That's one of the things that I honestly wonder um, is because at the start of the season, he has some pretty impressive stats. You know, he kind of opens up. Um, just some of these games with, you know, over 10 point performances, which is exactly what we would want in that bench player right there. Like kind of becoming this X factor player. And all of a sudden you go to that BYU game, you go to that USU game. And, you know, this is, this is one thing too, where this is a young, a young player. Um, it's someone that um, still trying to figure out those ropes, everything like that. And I think one thing is when you come in and you start to, go down a little bit of a path. You, it's a little harder to pick up that confidence and everything like that. Um, the way you had it before, I think one of those things is that shoulder injury is probably irritating him a little bit. Still, I've seen him wear the tape out and everything like that. Um, but it is one of those things that I think with a little bit more, a little bit of maturity and as, as he goes on and at his career at Weaver State, I think we're going to see a little bit more of a consistent performance from him. But right now I think he's just kind of in that slump right now and has to pick it up. Yeah, I agree that um, obviously, you know, we've seen flashes of what he can be, um, especially early in this game, you know, like the Duquesne game. Um, I think it was the game against uh, Green Bay or I can't remember if it was that or the Ball State game, but like just great, great performances. Right. And I think that the nice thing about a player like Zaire Porter is that in this league, he has that length. So it, he's he's a nice guy to put in at the three position uh, to kind of be that wing defender which is what you need where the Wildcats have had. And so, like you said, Simon, maybe a little bit more time to kind of develop those defensive skills, plus get that get that shoulder right and get that shot back because we know he's got it. We've seen him just absolutely rip the nets. But maybe that injury has just, you know, sort of hampered him here in this season and, you know, caused some problems. Um, so, guys, Wildcats are in third place right now. Well, the Birds lost tonight, so I, I guess I should look and see if that's We're in second place. We're in yeah. second now. Yeah, the Wildcats. Okay, yeah. So, the Wildcats are actually in second place now with the Birds losing to Northern Colorado tonight. And so, 
There are five games to go. Two of those games will be against those two teams. Southern Utah and Northern Colorado will both have to come to the Purple Palace and take on the Wildcats. Um, how are you guys feeling? Where do you think that the Wildcats end up going to the conference tournament up in Boise in just a couple weeks? Um, one of the things I love about the schedule right here is them playing against SUU near the end. Um, I think it is the last, last game. game for that conference. Yep. And um, the one thing that's cool about that is you saw the last game and it is, it was intense. Um, just like fans everywhere just ran down the Wildcats and then blowing kisses to the audience. <laughs> I, I loved it. Um, that's one of the things I think like you get a win against SUU that is a shot in the arm. That is something that drives your team forward. Um, and it drives up confidence, everything like that. I think that's one thing where if they win that game, that's a pretty critical game coming into a tournament like that. And something that could definitely launch us into the tournament. If we, if we win that, um, if we win that game, it's just that one thing that leads to that postseason success. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good point too, man, because you look at the, um, you look at that, that what that game kind of kicks off. Uh, they, they, they beat the birds down in Cedar city and then they go on to play, you know, another tough game against Northern Colorado. And then they go on to play you know what I mean? Like they just kind of go on and on and on and, and, and win until they, you know, get tired and face a really good Montana state team. And so I think you're right that like, should the wildcats win the final game of the season in the purple palace on senior night? I mean, that's, that's a, that's a nice little thing to have in your back pocket heading up to Boise. Because like you said, I do think that it is an energizer because we've already seen that that's exactly what it does. Right. John King, what about you? Where do you feel like the Wildcats end up? Because I mean, the thing that has me most concerned right now is that a couple of teams that you have on the schedule are Northern Arizona and Portland state who you'll both play this week. Northern Arizona has been really, really scrappy lately. They've been giving teams all they want. You know, they, I think they only lost by like three to, Montana state up in the brick in Bozeman on Saturday. Uh, you know, they, they took, they ended up, I think they ended up beating, uh, Montana in, um, in Missoula to break that home winning streak. And so it's just like, this team is really, I don't know what they're doing right now. And so it's just like, ah, this isn't such an easy game. Like you would have thought earlier in the season, sort of like what we're seeing with Idaho state right now where they're beating teams that maybe everyone thought that they shouldn't. And so all of a sudden the bottom of the conference is not so easy to just kind of step over. Everybody's going to have to up their game. You cannot sleepwalk through these games. How are you feeling? Well, I'm in the same place that I've been for the last couple of weeks and we're on a mission right now. We are on a mission and the mission is to avoid the Montana schools for as long as we possibly can in the conference tournament. So how are we going to do that? Well, that means that we got to come in either first or second place. Um, uh, we got to come in first or second place in the conference. And so I think at this point we are probably going to be, you know, uh, probably best case scenario is to beat the two seed. Um, because I think that a two game lead, you know, behind Montana state is going to be tough to make up in these last couple of weeks. Um, so right now we're sitting where, you know, Montana state is the one seed. Montana's the five seed. Um, that means that we're on the opposite side of the bracket of where they are. So, you know, my, my, the, the, they're the only two teams that I fear in this conference. And that's no disrespect to, you know, the rest of the teams, because I think if we were say, I, I think, I think that this conference, this is, this is a deeper comp, deeper conference than it has been the last couple of years. Um, but I really only fear from, um, you know, uh, I, I really only fear the Montana teams just because 
you know, I have in the back of my mind that, you know, Weaver State goes into a tough environment down in Cedar City and handles business relatively easily, especially in the second half, you know, went to Northern Colorado, handled business, business, you know, pretty, pretty easily, you know, against, uh, against them as well. The games against both the Montana schools have been extremely tough this year, all four of those games. And yeah. so we've got to avoid them. And the only way to do that is to finish first or second in the conference. So it is imperative. It is imperative that we get one of those two spots. So we've got to, you know, we had a little bit of room for slip up just because of where, just because of where we were, but that slip up is kind of gone now. I mean, with the loss to, you know, against Idaho this past weekend, that's a loss that I don't think anybody was taking into consideration consideration. So now to lock up that, to, to lock up that seed, you're probably going to have to beat both Southern Utah and beat Northern Colorado in order to, um, uh, in, in order to lock up that, lock up one of those top two seeds. I mean, I think I said last week that, you know, it would be great if we just split those games and, you know, we just handled business against the lower, you know, teams in the conference, uh, um, uh, the, the, the rest of the way. But that's not a reality anymore. I mean, because of the the because of the loss on Saturday night, so those two games really become must win, you know, must win ones, um, where we might not have been counting on that being that way, um, you know, even just last week. Yeah, yeah, like you said, I mean, you didn't want to lose to Eastern, but you did, so that's what it is. Um, you shouldn't have lost to Idaho, but you did, so that's what it is. Um, yeah, the, the next couple of games, you know, we've talked a lot about SUU and Northern Colorado, and I'm sort of with you, John, of the mind that, like, I'm not necessarily afraid of those teams in a neutral environment, you know, because we've already played those teams in the hostile environment. So, um, and the Wildcats have shown that they can handle business. And so long as they get their legs back underneath them, I think that they're up to the task against the Birds or the Bears. Um, the concern is, like you said, the, the higher quality teams in the conference, the Montana States, Montana always, you know, providing a, a challenge for the Wildcats in the conference tournament, plus uh, tough teams like Eastern who seem to be, you know, peaking. And then of course, you know, anything else that might happen, some plucky school like Northern Arizona who can all of a sudden win games, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> all right, fellas. Uh, we talked a lot about that, but uh, let's move on to our final segment. Which I know folks have been waiting with bated breath. Uh, we're going to be doing the Wildcat fantasy draft, the fab five of Weber state. So what we're going to do is we're going to give a panelist, they're going to get a position and they can choose all time who they would draft at that position for the greatest Wildcat team ever assembled. So I want to start this one off with, um, with, let's see, who wants to go first? I guess that's what I should ask. With the point guard position, who wants to go first? I, nobody, uh, nobody. Oh, Simon, you want to do it? I was like, because if you don't, I will do it because this one's easy and it's an obvious choice. But if you want to do it, say the word. Right. Well, I think like that's one of the things is I think you go with that small ball lineup right there, because obviously we know who one of the guards is going to be. <laughs> There's no question about it. Um, if I'm yeah. going off the point guard, I'm probably putting Eddie Gill there and then putting Damian Lillard as my shooting guard. That's how I would do it, just because I want both those guards in right there. Um, you got a little journeyman in Eddie Gill. I like that we have oh, someone yeah. that, um, just in our history and then put Damian Lillard to that shooting guard position. It's just kind of. Uh, I don't think anyone's contesting me on that one, right? <laughs> no, I mean, th th those are both solid choices. And so, you know, he, Simon saying put Eddie Gill at the, at the point guard position, you know, had success against, against 
North, uh, North Carolina in 1999 and ended up playing, you know, a number of years in the league. I mean, ended up coming back just this last year for the, the alumni classic. And we did a little, a little short sideline interview with him afterward to talk a little bit about, uh, about his playing career. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's a good choice. So John King, I guess, you know, that, that, well, we'll go to the shooting guard position to you. Cause this was the one that I really struggled with right here was the shooting guard. John King, what do you think? Well, the shooting guard is, is, is probably the deepest position when you go back and, you know, and, 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 and when you, when you kind of go back and look at the history of Weaver state basketball, um, you know, I have, you know, a soft spot in my heart. And I've said on the podcast many times, my favorite wildcat is Jeremy Sanglin. I feel like he, he always gets overshadowed when these kind of debates come up just because, you know, and, and I, I don't really know what the reason for that is um, because he was a really tremendous player um, uh, at, at Weber state. And, you know, you know, I was, I was out in Utah during, you know, the 2016, 17 and the 17, 18 seasons. And I, you know, I, while he was only there for one of those, I, I just really enjoyed watching him play. Um, and I feel like he always, he always kind of gets left, left out of the conversation. So I wanted to, uh, I wanted to mention him. I may still pick him, but I haven't totally made my mind up yet. So I'm just kind of stalling. Um, so, you know, and then I know that, I know, I know that, um, um, our guy Chappie, he 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 loves he loves a Jermaine Boyette, um, but I have to I have to say that that's a little bit before my time. But that team did win um, that team did win a game in the NCAA tournament, which you got to give props to. I mean, that's 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 a huge accomplishment, you know, for Weaver State. So I would probably go as my shooting guard would probably be Jermaine Boyette, but I did want to mention you know Jeremy Singlin just because I. I really did love watching him play. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a good choice. Jeremy Sanglin, all time uh, leader in three point uh, buckets made at Weber state 345. Right. I mean, shoot, mister. And at one time before Jarek Harding came along, was also the all time leader in points scored at Weber state with uh, where was it? 2000 and like 45, you know, until of course, uh, no, 2078, number two in 124 games played, but then Jared Harding came along and now holds the record with 2,266 games. So uh, I could totally understand that. Um, you know, it's, and like you said, that 2003 team with Jermaine Boyette, uh, the Wildcats ended up, you know, absolutely blowing through the Big Sky tournament that year and, uh, and, and the conference ended up winning. You know, I think they ended up going undefeated, you know, on, on their route to, winning the the conference championship before heading to the tournament. So it's tough. But uh, for me, I, I, I kind of wanted to throw it back a little bit. What do you, you guys think about Bruce Collins at, at two guard position? I mean, that's, that's throwing it way back in the eighties, but just looking at his numbers, I was like, man, this guy. Well, and Anybody? Colby, I also, I, I also know that you're, 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 you're partial, although you probably be more of a, he'd probably be more of a point guard, but I also know you're partial to a Watt Masaka. Um, uh, <laughs> shout out as well. So I had that on the back of my brain too. Yeah. Yeah. When Watt had a, had a really good career in a Wildcat uniform, you know, um, winning a, winning a national junior college championship. I mean, shoot, 
like I said, this backcourt makes it tough, right? Really, really difficult to kind of choose who you want to go because there have been so many good guards that have come through Weaver State. And, you know, we haven't even really talked about Jarek Harding at all at the, at the shooting guard position, you know, the all-time leading scorer for the Wildcats. And so it's just like, man, there's just so much loaded talent at the at the point guard and shooting guard positions that uh, makes it tough. So, so John King with the shooting guard, you ended up going Jeremy Sanglin. Is that right? I'm, I'm going to give it to you. I just, I, I love watching the guy play. So okay. um, yeah. I, I kind of, I kind of fangirled over him when we did our little, when we did our interview um, uh, last, last summer with him. But, uh, you know, I just, I love everything about his game. I just, I love everything about his game. Yeah, man. So I, I want to make sure that I understand this now. So, I mean, so Simon, you went with Eddie Gill at the one and you ended up going Damian Lillard at the two. John King saying, well, maybe I'm going to put Jeremy Sanglin at the two. Does that mean that John King has Damon Lillard at the one? Is that how he's looking at it? Uh, yes. Okay. Most definitely. Okay, cool. Uh, now I'm going to move on and we're going to, we're going to talk small forward and I'll take this one. Uh, this one was a little bit easier. Um, and when I was thinking about it, Oh, you guys, you guys are looking at my, you looking at my picks here. Someone's peeking. So I won't, I want Harold Arsenault. Uh, you know, because it felt like, all right, Harold, you know, I, I've got my, my picks for the front court. I know where I want to be, but I know I want to get the show in there somehow. And it feels like the small forward position is just the spot to get him uh, a lot of success um, as a wildcat. And of course the, the Cinderella uh, run against the North against North Carolina in 1999. And then, you know, losing to, to Florida uh, in the next round, just barely on, on a buzzer beater. So it's just, man, what a Cinderella run. And I guess apparently he still gets calls to talk to teams, uh, you know, that are going and playing up against a lot higher seeds in the, in the tournament from coaches to say, come talk to my guys about how you beat uh, blue chip teams. And so I'm going with Harold Arsenault. I mean, you guys, any debate on the small forward position here? Yeah, I think there's a couple of good picks right here. Um, I think Arsenault is awesome. He could go with Bob Davis. It's pulling it way back to the 70s. Yeah, it's throwing it way back, yeah. Yeah, but someone kind of fun right there. I honestly um, – I got I got some chips on uh, – I got some chips on Dylan Jones. I honestly think, like, you okay. know, we don't categorize him, like, enough in, like, you know, the just because he's kind of labeled as forward, we kind of have that backcourt, frontcourt notion there. But I think when it's all said and done, we could – we could definitely be putting Dylan Jones on this list. We have to remember this is only his second year. And one of the things is he's not just like a dominant scorer at times, but he's also one of those players that can like really do some damage with rebounds, with assists. He can choose whichever way he wants to dominate and he will dominate that way. And so that's what makes it scary. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a super good point. I mean, because Dylan Jones, we, we, we gave him the moniker, do it all DJ for a reason. So like you said, assisting, leading the conference right now in rebounds. Um, you know, I think uh, going into the Eastern game, I think he was like sixth or seventh in the country or something like that in double doubles, or maybe it was a little lower than that, but still like top 20 in the con in the country when it comes to double doubles. So it's just like, man, this kid is just, he is absolute dynamite. And so I think you're right. As time goes on, Dylan Jones might find his way into one of these all time lists, but uh, now let's move on to the power forward position. John King power forward. Um, this one is, was also an easy one for me. Um, uh, uh, you know, I, I would put this up there kind of with the Dame selection, but I think that the power forward for sure is Joel Ballenboy. I mean, um, uh, tremendous player, um, has had a cup of coffee 
um, in, in, in the NBA, been really, really successful playing for Seska Moscow um, overseas. Um, and uh, my, my champions. Power, my, in 2019. Yeah. Um, and so my, uh, um, uh, my power forward would definitely be Joe Ballenboy. Yeah, Simon, what do you think on that? Joel Ballenboy at the power forward position? How are you feeling was, about that? That was exactly my pick. Um, That's my pick, too. Yeah. It was one of those things, you know, I remember being junior high when he kind of got us over to that that tournament right there when we played. I think we played Xavier. We were 15th seed. We played through Xavier. And, yep. yeah, you just got to cheer for him, right? <laughs> well, and, and to me, this is the reason why I want Joel Ballenboy at the power forward position. Joe Ballenboy is the all-time leading rebounder at Weber State University with 1,312 rebounds. He has bested Willie Sojourner, who has 1,143. Now, he he played in 130 games, whereas Sojourner played in 81. But man, I mean, 1,300? Shoot, mister. Like, <laughs> that's not nothing. So I, I, think we're, I think we all agree here that uh, Joe Ballenboy is our power forward. So now, Simon... You get the last pick. Who are you going to put in at center for for the final uh, the final player in this lineup? <laughs> this one's um, I know you kind of had a slam dunk answer on this one, but I kind of oh, yeah. I, I kind of want to go with Lance Allred on this one. Uh, okay, make your case. Make your right? case. Like, here's the thing: like, first off, you know, you get you get to that point where you got him in Cleveland, everything like that. Um, He's one of those players that, you know, kind of started up. Wildcats were pretty hot back in early 2000s a little bit. And he was definitely a huge contributor to that. And I think he'd just be an awesome pick to put there. I know there are plenty of other options. You're, you're going to definitely go off on another, on another route. But I definitely I – don't, I don't mind putting him there. I think Lance Allred would be fun to have at center on that all-star team. Okay. John King, what about you? Uh, center position? Who are you going with? Mine would be Willie Sojourner. I mean, it's, because it's Willie Sojourner, I kind of, I was like, I was dancing between him. I, I knew you were going to bring him up. I just wanted to, I, I wanted to throw in a little thing for all of You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. And, and, and I know that, you know, you, Colby, you just mentioned about what, 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 what did you say that Sojourner was four rebound shy of where, um, uh, um, Joe, where, where Joe Ballenboy was rebound, uh, for his, for his career, but played in what, 40, 40 less games. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a little less than that. So Sojourner ended his career with 1143 rebounds to Ballenboy's 1312. But yeah, like you said, he played in 30, uh, 49 less games. I mean, that's, that, that, that's pretty, that, that's pretty, that's pretty significant. I mean, that's a, that's an average of, um uh what th- three rebounds a game to be the all-time leading rebounder um so totally happened yeah d- it could have very well been the case so um willie sojourner would be my uh w- would be my um uh my center on this team yeah i mean i'm fully in that camp willie sojourner is the first number that weber state ever retired i mean like dude's a stud I like I am on a mission to get Willie Sojourner jerseys made so that people in Ogden will wear them in the in the Purple Palace because it's like this man was all time like we got to have it. So you, you guys beat me out on that. You convinced me, but I wanted to throw in a little. little <laughs> I had to show some love for all of it. So. Uh, that's fair. A uh, little bonus here before we go. Coach, who are you guys putting in a coach? John. 
Well, I'm bi- biased because I'm a Washington Wizards fan, and he delivered the only um, uh, NBA championship to my city. Uh, Dick Mata. Dick Mata. Uh, what about you, Simon? Coach. I mean, this one. This one's a, not as clear, right? I mean, there we got a couple, quite a few good coaches here we could go for. I'm biased on this one. That's the problem. Like I know Randy Ray. I think he's awesome. He's always you nice like in interviews. Yeah, you can't you can't go wrong with him. You got you got a couple years of dominant dominant performance. You got two NBA players, like a couple NBA players to show out of. It, so you can't you can't knock him too bad, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, it was a, it was a toss up between Dick Mata, which was at my, was my you know my front runner. Um, for a lot of reasons, like John has said, um, you know, a coach who made the jump from, you know, made Weber State a powerhouse, took the Wildcats through, you know, the uh, the junior college days to now now playing Division One and was successful at both levels. And then uh, and, and give the Wildcats their first berth in the NCAA tournament. Um, so Dick Mata and like all time and they're going to retire uh, his uh, number for him in just a couple of weeks on March 5th. But uh, but also Ron Baglin you know, who had those wins against Michigan state in 1997 and North Carolina in 1999. You know what I mean? So I look at that and I'm like, man, Ronald Bagel had some pretty good runs too. So I was a little bit torn, but I think I'm going to go with John. I think I'm going to go with Dick Mata, even though Ronald Bagel and Ronald Bagel definitely uh, deserves that, uh, that, that mention. So, all right, fellas, um, let's look at the upcoming schedule. Uh, right now, like we said, Wildcats will be home this week. So Thursday, February 17th, uh, taking on Sac State in the Purple Palace. That'll be a 7 p.m. ESPN Plus or 103.1 The Wave. Uh, tickets available at WeaverStateSports.com. And then Saturday, February 19th, Northern Colorado coming to town. Uh, 6 p.m. in the Purple Palace, ESPN Plus or 103.1 The Wave. Uh, get your tickets to that one, folks. I think that one's going to be good. You're going to you have an opportunity to see the conference uh, leading scorer, Dalen Counts. Uh, kid's great. I mean, we saw him in Greeley. Uh, he can really score, and so I think you're going to get a show. Uh, so, a couple of home games this week. Go check them out. Then next week, uh, Thursday, February 24th, taking the trip to Portland. Take on the Vikings, 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, ESPN Plus, or 103 on the Wave. And then Saturday, February 26th, flying up to Flagstaff, Arizona, which sits at 6,600 feet. Uh, taking on the the Jacks at 2 p.m. Mon, um, Mountain Standard Time. You can get that on ESPN Plus or 103 on the way. I think that's a game to watch, folks. Like we said, Northern Arizona has been very plucky. Jalen Cohn has been very good for them. Um, should be a good game to watch. We'll see how the Wildcats respond, especially at elevation. So we'll wrap up the show. Email us, weberstateweekly at gmail.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have our Patreon, patreon.com slash weberstateweekly if you want to get some of those player interviews that we've made with um, current recruits who have signed with the Wildcats in the last couple of weeks. And then eventually those, those will find their way to our blog, weberstateweekly.com. But if you want to see them first, join the Patreon. We'll wrap this show up like we usually do, folks. Really uh, appreciate both John and Simon for being on the show tonight. Uh, I'll say it like I always do, Weber State, Weber State. Great. 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 Go Wildcats. Oh!